the most important lesson I think that I've learned through all those mistakes has been to prioritize the relationships with people and, and to never let ambition or numbers or agenda interfere with those relationships because the relationships are like the essential heart of what we're trying to do. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back. Today I'm excited to be joined by Chandra Brown, director of the FreeFlow Institute. Chandra is a writer, a guide, and an entrepreneur. And FreeFlow is a venture aimed at eliminating barriers between artists and environment. To do this, Chandra and her colleagues create thoughtfully structured trips into wild spaces where emerging writers, artists, and athletes can learn and grow together. This sort of community building, creative, entrepreneurial venture seems quintessentially Montanan. Chandra, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much, Justin. Happy to be here. Yeah, so the days are getting longer. The rivers are starting to come alive again. Spring must be an exciting time for you. Yeah, spring is always, um, it always feels like an awakening. Obviously, we're all kind of coming out of hibernation, but that kinetic um, awakening that comes with the, the rivers starting to flow is always exciting, for sure. Indeed. And, you know, I, I want to sort of get into your background and free flow and, and all these things. Looking at your background, you've had quite a nonlinear career. But at the same time, free flow seems like the perfect marriage of your passion, your gifts and experience. You know, tell us, you know, a little bit about like how you came to this moment and, uh, you know, why free flow is just the, the, the right place for you to be. Yeah. It, I think you just, you just nailed it. It, um, it feels like something of a confluence. Yeah. You know, I spent, um, a lot of years teaching high school, including here in Missoula, and education and sort of the structures behind quality education have always been important to me for sure. And I feel like as an educator, you know, once you're sort of integrated into that world and you start to see, you start to see the impact that your teaching can have um, within, you know, the sphere of students that you have the opportunity to work with. It's hard to leave that behind. So even though teaching in the classroom may not be um, may not be my forever career, you know, education is still like at the top of my list of, of professional priorities. And um, when I came to the University of Montana for graduate school in 2014, I decided to study environmental writing and really wanted, I've always I've always fancied myself a bit of a, a writer and I love writing, but I wanted to really try to build some community around that, that, that creative process of making stories and sharing stories. So I took a little break from teaching and then actually went back to it after grad school and then just sort of started thinking about like, how do you fuse all of these professional loves, you know, the writing, the education, and then of course this 
the through line that's been there forever, which is river work and guiding on rivers, which has been a part of my life since I was 18. Um, and so Free Flow Institute, like you mentioned, is sort of the confluence or the marriage of all those things. Um, so I feel really fortunate to have found it. So let's talk a little bit more about your connection to rivers. I mean, you mentioned the teaching and, and never wanting to kind of leave that behind, but the classroom you know, has certain boundaries. Whereas, you know, you've guided on you know, three-week Grand Canyon trips, for example, that's an immersive experience where you're spending intimate time for better or for worse, with a small group of people, that's a different type of teaching. Talk about the contrast between those two and, and how you sort of, you know, how they kind of merge in a way that feels right for you. Yeah, I love that. I love that you recognize that there is teaching in guiding. Um, there's an element of that. You know, I think a lot of the people that we take, we take down the river or take into the backcountry may or may not have an understanding of what it, what it takes to function in that environment, you know, spending, like you said, anywhere between, you know, a few days to a few weeks with a group of people, you know, you have the social dynamics that often need to be mitigated through some, some element of education. You know, this is how you interact with the environment, but this is also how you interact with your, with the, the, the cohort that you're traveling with. And this is how you interact with the self that is revealed um, when the excess of the non-river experience is sort of stripped away. And there's also the education that sort of revolves around the, you know, the place, right? So when you're traveling through a new landscape or through a new place, I've always felt that it's, that's one thing that is often lacking in commercial guiding is that responsibility to educate your clients about the place they're traveling through. And I think that, you know, that we'll never, we'll never be like fully obligated as river guides to impose that education on our clients, but on a free flow Institute course, I feel now like, I feel like I have that freedom to integrate education into the river experience. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're trying to create, you know, we hear this term transformative experiences a lot. It gets thrown around in education. We throw it around a lot at the University of Montana. I, I like to think we do some of it, but you know, what is a transformative experience? What does that phrase mean to you? Oh, man, I think I think you're spot on. I know that transformative experiences can happen within the physical boundaries of the classroom. Or rather, you as a professor can facilitate or encourage students toward those types of experiences. I think that for an experience to be quintessentially transformative, there has to be an opening that happens on the part of the student, right? And so, you know, it's easier, like maybe what we're doing at FreeFlow is cheating a little bit, Justin, because it's easier to facilitate that opening, encourage that opening when you're outside in a beautiful place, right? Or you're like pushed beyond your physical comfort and you are then more open to the experience of, of witnessing yourself in a new place, learning new things. So on the downstream side of the transformation, I guess I hope that, you know, what that looks like, whether it's education in the classroom or whether it's um, a three-week river trip, you just hope that, that, that there has been a change that's catalyzed, a different way of thinking, a different way of operating, 
a new way of viewing the world or our place within it. And I guess, I guess for me, that's, that's sort of the goal. Sure. And talk about two pieces within that answer. You mentioned, you know, being outside, immersive, and then getting pushed beyond your sort of physical comfort zone and maybe even your mental comfort zone. And is there something about a river in particular that, that facilitates that? And I ask because I have sort of a different type of connection to rivers in the sense that, um, you know, I spent a long time in my life competing as a rower. Oh, and it's a different type of you know East Coast industrial rivers, but but you're on the water and the water's moving. Like this constant relationship with the river is. I feel like it's now part of my DNA. I don't spend much time in white water or on guided trips or, or that sort of uh, water. But what is it? Yes, there's something about a river that's compelling. Whether you're you know a person who likes to fish or you like to float or you just like to watch them. What is it about rivers that, that can sort of be the right substrate for this type of learning? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There is something about rivers and I, I'm often, you know, I'm often torn. I find myself as I get older, kind of migrating farther and farther away from whitewater. You know, I don't necessarily need that anymore. I'm just as content to be in the river corridor you know, in a boat, maybe not even in a boat, alone with the people that I like to enjoy rivers with traditionally. Like I, I'm, I'm finding as I get older that there are so many different ways to experience a river. But what will never change is that compulsion toward the river, that like that draw. And I think I think kind of like what we, you know, what you mentioned at the very beginning of the conversation, you know, there's, there's something so fundamental, so elemental in moving water, right? So like in the morning, in the, you know, in the, I almost said in the morning, but in the springtime when, you know, the mountains start to melt and, and the rivers start to flow. You can feel it. Like if you pay attention, especially where we live, you know, it's sort of the confluence of three big rivers, you know, you can start to feel that energy. And whether it's a little spring, you know, like a, an ephemeral stream or a creek or, you know, the Loxaw River in the springtime, like it's, it's that same sort of momentum that is undeniable and if there weren't humans at play with our our ingenuity for engineering, it would be unstoppable. You know, that energy is is one of the, the greatest forces on the planet. And so, you know, I think when you zoom out and look at rivers sort of from through that lens, like it's like undeniably powerful, you know, and of course there's going to be like we are, we're drawn to them. We like to watch them. We like to be in them, feel that movement over our toes uh, if, we dip, if we dip our feet into them. And as far as a river being a substrate for, for transformative, educational, immersive experiences, I, I just feel like it's very rare that you take a human being and put them in a, in a wild river corridor and they don't feel something. And so I, I think that that, 
you know, it's again, it might be cheating, right? Because we put our students, you know, onto or near a river and they're going to feel that movement, um, we hope, you know, like um, externally, environmentally, but also sort of, you know, hopefully within themselves. Sure. I mean, I don't know if I would say it's cheating. I mean, I would think that the, 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 <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the f- sort of folks that, um, you know, kind of sign up for your trips. I mean, these are, my understanding is sort of budding creators, people trying to find their voice, learn the craft, immerse themselves in it. And that's an exciting time for a creator, but it's also maybe one with some pressure and expectation. So talk about the sort of people that, um, that uh, engage with free flow. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've been most intrigued by throughout this process of creating the Institute and building courses and trying to expand our community of students and instructors. I think that, you know, one thing that's very important to us is making sure that we have that element of academic rigor. So each and every course has to be accredited through the university. And so, yeah, so that's something that's really important to me. Again, going back to that, like the that my roots in academia, I just think it's really important to maintain that, that integrity, that rigor. Um, that being said, you know, only about 10% of our students so far have taken the courses for academic credit, which is to say that the option is there, but, you know, we have such a wide variety of students that I think it's, I think it's, it's encouraging that people aren't, you know, dissuaded by, or, or, or deterred or intimidated by the fact that they're university accredited courses, but rather hobbyists can take the courses, um, people that work in the nonprofit sector, people that are just curious about the craft of writing or making art. And, you know, I think that we've had some professionals that have had um, the support of their, their institutions and organizations that come on the course because they're looking to enhance their capacity for communication and written communication, especially and yeah, and we're and we're really trying to our goal for 2021 for the upcoming season is to diversify our cohorts and our teaching staff. And so that's been a big priority for us. And that means diversifying across all different strata, including, of course, the socioeconomic strata. So we created a just um, during sort of the, the COVID lockdown, we started building a, a nonprofit foundation um, called the Free Flow Foundation, which is a, an associated 501c3 where we can collect grant monies and donations um, to support students from diverse backgrounds on our courses. So that's been really big for us in that goal, in trying to meet that goal of diversifying the, our students' our student cohorts and also our, our instructional cohorts. Yeah. That has to be an, an interesting needle to thread for you. I mean, sort of traditional guiding operation, you know, you can go full luxury and, and pay a high price tag for a certain type of experience, or you can kind of do it yourself as a dirt bag or any, any, <laughs> kind of anything in between, but you got to imagine like upstart creators, you know, these, these, you know, the sort of starving writer or starving artist kind of comes to mind stereotypically. Like these are not the sort of folks that, that maybe have a ton of disposable income sitting around to, to pay for a really 
luxurious trip. Um, so it's great to hear you have a foundation that's, that's sort of seeking to sort of open that experience up to a broader set of people. You know, what, speaking of that, like what, what is, can you walk us through kind of like a, what somebody could expect when they, they embark on a free flow trip? What does the trip feel like? What does it look like? Yeah. You know, I think each one, each course so far has been so unique. Um, We haven't repeated anything yet, which is, I think at once really wonderful and also maybe foolish to not just like (laughs) (laughs) recycle some of the material. There there is like some (laughs) sort of learning curve with teaching, as you know, (laughs) you invest in building a class and teach it a few times before you change it. But, but anyway, um, you add in the river and certainly there's, there's just variability inherent in that experience that whether you're going on the same river or not, it can be completely different. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey, this is Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And working with different instructors that have maybe different priorities, sure. different aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, it, it sort of looks like ahead of the ahead of the field experience, we send out um, a media list and we ask everyone to sort of familiarize themselves with texts or essays or podcasts or films or books that will inform their experience um, and also to give uh, all the students and the instructors sort of a baseline foundational knowledge about the place, about the writing they're going to do, about the the writing that the instructor um, feels is exemplary or important. And then something new this year, thanks to the pandemic and our new familiarity with Zoom is we're going to try to build in a couple of pre-field course meetings where the cohort will have a chance to sort of see the faces of the people they'll be working with and meet the instructor. Um, And they can start to build that community before they go into the field, which will be a nice addition to the courses. And then once in the field, depending on the goals of the course, depending on the location and the structure of the trip, you know, let's say we're on the salmon, the main salmon river, you know, each morning we'll begin with a, with a, you know, with coffee and um, a discussion about craft or about um, some element of, of the writing life, or, or maybe, maybe students have brought pieces to be workshopped and we will have a full on you know, classic college style writing workshop. Um, And then we go rafting, we go hiking. Um, We encourage students to do their own writing throughout the day. Um, And then in the evenings, you know, we'll kind of repeat that process of circling up and talking about, about the work. And then, you know, a big piece of it too, Justin, is that we just hope that the students, you know, the cohorts will stay connected and support each other long after the trip. network after the trip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure yeah. it has all sorts of enduring benefits. It occurs to me we should have recorded this on the river, you know, as as someone who fancies himself oh. maybe as a, as a creator, <laughs> although I'm not really creating, I'm just asking questions. It would have been really nice to uh, 
to partake um, some of the experience. Next time. Indeed. Next time, yeah. part two. <laughs> Indeed, part two. So talking about, you know, you've, you've assembled an amazing cohort of, of instructors and sort of the people that have, you know, come in and out of trips. It's pretty impressive. Talk about your, you know, how you go about making choices with, with your instructors and the, the teachers you brought into the family. Yeah. I like that. You just called it a family. I like that a lot. It's, um, it's been, oh man, it's just, it's so, it's so surreal sometimes, you know, because in graduate school at the University of Montana, I had the good fortune of working with um, William Dubuis and David James Duncan. Um, they were two of our visiting professors during my tenure. And so I, of course, decided that, well, I should try to be friends with these people because they're literary heroes of Indeed, mine. And, yeah. and, <laughs> and so I stayed in touch. And then... Um, you know, I reached out to to Bill, to William Dubuis, the first year that we started building fruitful courses. And I just said, is this something you'd like to do? And I knew that he um, loved going down the Grand Canyon. And he's done a lot of instructional stuff in Grand Canyon. And uh, he was keen. And I reached out uh, to Hal Herring, who is now, I, I, I just, um, he's one of my favorite humans and luckily he lives in Montana so we get to stay in some sort of touch but he was keen to even though we'd never met at that point he was keen to try leading a trip on the Missouri and so we just tried it out you know um sort of reaching out to people within the the network um and that's what it sort of has felt like you know I feel like the connections I made in the environmental studies department in the University of Montana have really allowed me to sort of reach out and expand the circle of connections. Um, and the people that have, the people that have agreed to do this, I mean, that's what it sort of, that's the thing just, and it kind of feels like, wow, you, you think this is a good idea? Cause <laughs> that's pretty great. If you think this is a good idea. And sometimes I think that bit of that imposter syndrome, you know, seeps in and I'm like, really, you're going to like Pam Houston, you want to go rafting with us? You know, like Brendan, you know, just reached out to these people, sort of kind of cold calling them, or maybe we were introduced through a, a friend. And and it's just, you know how the analogy that always comes to mind is, you know how in the ocean you can like dip your finger or your toe at night into the into the water and you see the phosphorescence, the bioluminescence, and they just sort of like one one sort of dip in the water illuminates this whole like network of of bioluminescence and that I think that's what it feels like it just it feels sort of like alchemy you know one introduction leads to a relationship with another incredible person in another incredible place um, which leads to another and another and another I didn't even know this sort of thing was possible um but yeah, it's it's quite a family that has that has developed. Indeed, yeah, and credit to you for just having the courage to tell people about your vision and to you know create the opportunities for them to get involved. Another issue that kind of you know I think about looking at your website is one of the prominent things on your website is acknowledgement of Aboriginal lands and the Indigenous people. 
upon whose land a lot of your trips occur. Um, talk about that. Like, what was was this sort of a sensibility you've had throughout your time in wild spaces, or is it something that's sort of evolved or come about more recently? Talk about th- those choices. Yeah, I really appreciate um, where our society and our culture has sort of attempted to go in recent months and years with land acknowledgements and with um, perhaps very novel awareness of or acknowledgement of our sordid past as Americans. I do feel, of course, like we have so far to go. I think the the land acknowledgements are are lovely. I think that's a, a really good start. That's a a nice nod to the people who who were here first. But obviously, it's not it's not good enough. And sometimes I'm 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 torn even on the land acknowledgement because it's it, at a point it starts to feel perhaps trite. And so for our part, you know, I think we are just trying, like I mentioned, to create more opportunities for for the people that have stories to tell about the places we're traveling through. We really want to work with more Indigenous instructors. We want to work with more Indigenous students. We'd like to foster relationships with with Native American educational institutions and sort of build opportunities within Free Flow Institute for those different styles of teaching, those different modalities to enter into our mainstream Um, rather than assuming that like, you know, like my like very Western Anglo concept of pedagogy is appropriate for everyone because we certainly know it's not. Yeah, not only from the curriculum side, but you know, so many of the the writers uh, that you've had as instructors have written prominently about things like conservation, preserving these wild spaces, and you know, that's one thing that I've sort of kind of started to wrap my head around of late in this sort of you know racial reckoning, if you will, that, that our country's going through is, you know, this concept that, you know, conservation is very Eurocentric concept, very white oriented notion. How do you think about conservation and, 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 and how do you sort of, you know, the students are sort of finding their way through these ideas. How's that sort of manifest in, in your curriculum? Yeah, it's such a, it's such a fraught issue, you know, that like, I guess, you know, conservation, I think, I think I even hesitate now in, in, in my communications to use that word, you know, or like, or say that like, you know, that's one of our goals is to promote conservation communication because, because what does that, what does that mean now? You know, we see, and we have been seeing the results of, and the lasting impacts of our management practices. Right. And our conservation practices, they are by definition, largely um, exclusionary and 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 colonialist, you know, if if we're honest. And so that 
being considered, you know, I think that's a great conversation for people on our courses to have is like, how do we reimagine conservation? How do we, how do we consider the human element when we talk about preserving wild places? What does wild even mean? Um, and can you find wild without, you know, spending, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to go to, on a week long river trip? You know, can you find wild in your backyard? Can you find wild in, you know, the alley behind your house or like the community garden that you tend? Can you find it like down in the dilapidated sections of the Clark Fork? You know, like where, what, what is it? How, how far do we have to travel to find a wild space? And that's one of the, one of the points of reckoning for, for me and for us, um, for our little team, you know, is how long do we want to keep supporting um, and, and kind of buying into this idea that you have to go far away to find a wild space. And are we only conserving or preserving the spaces, the rivers, the landscapes, the ecosystems that are iconic or that, you know, are nostalgic? Or are we also looking to conserve and preserve and make better the places proximal to us, the places that we actually have that we actually spend our time in. Yeah. And then who decides, you know, what are the priorities? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who decides? And that's, and that I think is so important trying to open up the conversation. Um, And I think that's a priority, you know, among a lot of the, the, um, the, the friends that I have, the partners that we have that work within the realm of conservation specifically is like opening up the conversation to find out what, other what other groups of people have as priorities um, and how traditionally conservation efforts have affected them. So Chandra, you know, as we mentioned before, springtime, the new season is nigh. What are you most excited about for this upcoming season? What, what new things are, are, are you trying and uh, yeah, what can folks expect from free, free flow this season? Yeah, super excited, Justin. Um, last year, obviously, we had a truncated field season. We got to run two courses. We ran a couple of online courses, which was weird and felt sort of antithetical to what we do, but also like really cool that we were able to pull it off. And we had some really, yeah, it felt valuable. Those, you know, that distance style learning felt valuable, but we are super excited to get back into the field this year. Right now, you know, we've got, we're trying to make our courses a little more niche, trying to make the, the fo- narrow the focus of each course. So, you know, we have courses specifically for journalists, uh, specifically for women, specifically for creative writers, and then, you know, a course down on the Rio Grande that'll look at border studies and border theory, but through the lens of of writing and, and like sonic observation. So I think that things are, are shaping up. Yeah. Yeah. Really beautiful, really interesting, uh, course concepts. We have a new partnership last year. We started working with the, the university of Montana's, um, law school. Um, and so the, the summer water and Indian law program. And so we have another course in the works with them, you know, and then I'm just really excited to like get on the Blackfoot for three days with Chris Latre in at the end of at the end of June. You know, like I live on the Blackfoot, but I can't wait to be out there with some students talking about writing. 
you know, and I just the, just the, I think, I think for me, selfishly, I just really love that experience of sharing rivers with people um, and talking about writing with people. So I'm just excited about it all, Justin. <laughs> as you should be. Yeah, you know, as we close here, Chandra, you know, it occurs to me like what you've what you've created is distinctive. And that's what what probably makes it so special, but it also makes it hard to do. Like there's no real roadmap. There's rarely a roadmap for entrepreneurs, but in your case, it seems like there's really not one. Uh, there's no book you can sort of buy or check out. There's <laughs> no free flow institute for dummies. Like, what have you learned along the way as an entrepreneur trying to create something really new? What, what lessons have you learned and, and, and advice could you impart to others that, that are sort of maybe trying to find the courage to do something totally different? Oh yeah. I love that question. I actually was just having a conversation with a, a friend um, last week who is bravely starting her own business. Also, centered around rivers and kayaking. But I, I love, I loved in that conversation, the opportunity to sort of like to share with her the mistakes that I've made, because like you said, there's no blueprint, there's no roadmap. Um, And so there are a lot of mistakes that are made. And the, the most important lesson I think that I've learned through all those mistakes has been to prioritize the relationships with people and and to never let ambition or numbers or agenda interfere with those relationships because the relationships are the like the essential heart of what we're trying to do and without them if they're ever compromised if they're ever put on the back burner or if people aren't meant to feel that or they are made to feel valued um, as they should be valued, then I feel like the whole mission is compromised. So for me, that has meant, you know, the most impactful mistakes I've made have, have felt like moments where I've perhaps been too rushed or too hasty. And then I, you know, as a result, the relationships might've suffered And so for me, anytime I talk to folks that are starting something new, I just try to try to share that with them. Just slow down, do less at first. So you might do more later and so that you do what you do well at the beginning. And so you have a foundation to build upon. Yeah, I like that. Certainly resonates. Chandra, if folks want to learn more about you or Free Flow, where, where would you direct them online? Yeah, we've got um, freeflowinstitute.com is our website, and that's where all of our programs and scholarships and internship opportunities, that's where all of that is housed. Freeflowfoundation.org also has our scholarship opportunities, and that's where if people want to support others in their learning, that's where they could go. And we have an Instagram and a Facebook account. And we have a brand a brand new podcast as well. You do. Yeah. Yeah, we do, which is so exciting. So um yeah, we would we'd love to be in touch with anyone who's who's got questions for sure. Awesome. Well, Chandra, great to learn more about you and free flow and the 
the unique kind of venture you've created. Thanks for coming by the show and, and sharing your experiences with us. Thank you so much, Justin. This has been great. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift of UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business, with additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors and Drum Coffee. AJ Williams is our producer. VTO Jeff Amet and John Wicks made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about it. Thanks a lot. See you next time.